everyone. Welcome to our podcast, The Unintended Receiver by 91 Ultimate. My name is JD Patel, and we also have Richard Patel. We're your co-hosts. Uh, Richard, do you want to say hello? Hello, everyone. Today, we have a guest with us. I'll just tell you a little bit about him, and then I think you might be able to guess, but then he will be talking also. This person has played and coached uh, teams across the world mostly in London and in Bangalore, in India. In London, it's been teams like ABH and Curve. In Bangalore, it's been teams like Slipdisc. He's also played a lot of tournaments in India, despite not really being able to practice with them much as he travels a lot. He's also one of the people who helped put together a pickup team called Confused Mango Pickle. It's a very fun name and a very fun team. Attended, I think he attended Chennai Heat um, and maybe a couple of other tournaments. He's been part of the WFDF Spirit Committee and he helped set up committees for the UPI in the very beginning, all the way back in 2014, I think, along with Narayan and Krishnan, that's Mama, as a lot of people know him. And he's been on the committee, competitions committee for the last six years, predominantly as the lead and then as a mentor. And he's also very famous for scoring the first ever point for India at a WIFDIF tournament. So if you haven't guessed already, this is Ambarish Jaipuria. So would you like to say hello to everyone, Ambarish? Hello, everyone. Is there anything I missed in terms of your introduction? <laughs> anything you want to add? I mean, you covered most of it. A few, few tournaments for India a few tournament, tournament coaching you for India as well. <laughs> yes. That, oh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah. 2016 men's masters team, Ambrish, came to our rescue, I would say, like stepped in and helped us win our first game and the first game for Team India at that tournament, I think. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And also Ambrish has been playing for a whooping 16 years. Yes very established player and coach in some cases and just overall ultimate person I can say so we're really happy to have you on the podcast today we you know I've been discussing it around all different kinds of people we want to have on and share your like experience and thoughts with the wider community across India so I think we're very fortunate and very happy to have you with us so let's uh, let's get on with the questions let's do it just if I can add a quick fun thing, we didn't tell you Amrish so far, but you know, when we were shortlisting our guests and when we talked about you having on the podcast, all of us were like, you're going to talk a lot. And so we're going to have to <laughs> figure out how to, you know, keep up with you or be able to curb your enthusiasm. So we're not uh, making this a big, long podcast, but yeah, you, it, it did come up the world we might have to hear a lot of you speaking and less, less of us. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if anyone's had a conversation with me before, you might be used to this. So enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we wanted to ask you about, you know, having been on the competitions committee. And so you've had a lot of, a lot to say and devise, I could say, about like how we play ultimate competitively in India. And so like, can you tell us a bit about where the whole like format came from when the competitions committee started out, like from the tour system to the sectionals and regional system, right from the beginning? 
in the olden days, we kind of had, uh, we pretty much had seasonal tournaments where there were like, the season was pretty much divided into a few bits and pieces. And there, there were a few tournaments around the country. There was Ahmedabad, Delhi would have a tournament, Mumbai, Chennai Heat, of course, uh, Cody, Bangalore. And you kind of divide, and everything was divided up quite well. But there was no coherent system. And one of the first things that we wanted to do as a competitions committee, which is actually a requirement by WFDF, oh. is that we wanted to have a nationals and a national championships. And we had to come up with a system to do that. So the first thing that we did was we came up with the tour so that we uh, move. It was a very smooth move from what we already had mm. to this format where you accrued points for performance of the different tournaments and you could just play whatever you wanted and you just got you just accumulated points and the team with the most points at the end of the season one okay so we used to have things like auo buo and muo which was like mumbai so a b and m a being Ahmedabad, b being bangalore and uh so it was these three and then so so but why didn't then we move from like a tour system where you'd go you know people, players would travel all around the country and they they love that aspect as well but like why do we move from that to sectionals regionals nationals so i just want to add those seo as well which was surat uh, oh, ultimate yeah. open oh, right, um, yeah. after the first season of the tour we looked into the statistics and demographics and we found that there were uh, there were four tournaments in the season and we found that it was seven or eight teams that managed to attend all the tournaments. Mm. And the total number of teams was about 48 teams. And we weren't satisfied with that, to be quite honest. The idea of setting up the tour was to have everyone play. Yeah. And with only seven or eight teams attending all four tournaments, it wasn't doing its job as well as we were hoping. Mm. It was fantastic for top teams because they got to play each other and the teams that are willing to travel and can afford yeah. it. Yeah. But actually we had teams, I don't think, I think Flywild only attended two of the four tours. Mm. And so they were automatically at a disadvantage, even though they scored on average more points per event that they attended. Yeah. They didn't win the tour because they didn't attend all four events. Right. So we were thinking that, especially in a country like India, where there's so much income disparity, First of all, that's not fair, which was the competition side. But on the the second point was that we wanted to get as many people playing UPAI events, like events that are organized well, that have yeah. you know, that, that are run properly, that have a proper schedule, that are seeded properly, like water, all the stuff that you that we now come to expect from an event. Which actually, some of these things weren't present in the old days, as I'm sure you remember, Jedi. We kind of yeah. had to fend for ourselves sometimes, except for these big tournaments. And uh, so we were trying to put this in place to get as many people playing UPAI events as possible. So Manix was a big driver behind getting the sectionals going at the scale that we got it to. Mm. Honestly, when, he came, when we came up with it, I thought that it was not feasible to have so many events in one season. We went from four UPAI sanctioned tournaments to 27. <laughs> yeah, that is a big jump. Yeah. <laughs> So it was it was a huge effort, and uh, and but we managed to make it work, I think. Yeah. It's impressive. Um, but the biggest factor, as I was saying, is that uh, we went from having forty, it was about forty-eight teams in the first season to uh, then we moved to NCS, and yeah. we got eighty-eight teams in the first season of NCS, and now we're up to about one hundred and twenty or so. 
mm. after the second season. Yeah, so like a a hundred percent jump, like a double within yeah. after yeah. one iteration. I mean, to be fair, the eighty-eight to one hundred and twenty, a lot of that is coming from Assam, where yeah. they added uh, about twenty-five teams just through just in Assam. So yeah. the eighty-eight has been largely teams outside Assam have grew from to a, to NCS, but they haven't grown as quickly uh, once we're in NCS. Yeah, they had one team at nationals, I think. Yeah, Dagosa. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. Dagosa, yeah. Yeah, an amazing community with a lot of potential. But so glad to hear that they could have field so many teams, right? And the sectionals format allowed for that to happen. Also having people like Mannix travel to Assam a few times, I think that helped out as well. So credit, yeah, for sure. like you said. yeah, Nice. Okay, thanks. And, you know, talking about competitions and also we're quite keen to know a little bit about your experience with being on the WIFTIF uh, Spirit uh, Committee. And as you said before that, you know, you've been the UK representative uh, since 2015 and uh, you did that for three to four years. And you've also uh, actively played a uh, you know, role in setting up the Spirit scoring system and introducing it to WIFTIF from Bula and a bunch of uh, other things with uh, with the rules committee so first of all i mean could you share a little bit about what are the differences between what wiftif and usau rules uh, have in place so can i take you back to the spirit rules and everything a little yeah, bit yeah. more just a bit more background on it what we did so back i mean in the early days when we used to play again this is a lot of this is just going to be me talking about the old days, really. Um, I hope you don't mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, good. So, like, some tournaments, they just say, okay, you just pick three teams uh, that you like, and they get the and they get the Spirit Prize, or you... And then we had, like, teams would award points from 1 to 10, and invariably, it would kind of be very subjective and kind of games where you felt nice. And a lot of the times you feel nice when you beat a team quite comfortably. So they don't really have anything to argue about. They, the game went very smoothly. There was no discussions. So we'll give them a 10. And of course, the team that loses 15-0 every game goes and wins the Spirit Prize every time. Correct. So then uh, Patrick van der Valk, the former head of Bula, he's still heavily involved with Bula, but he's now mostly leading uh, Eric, I believe. The early recognition okay. is critical, which is will be related charity to do with cancer. Uh, which is really good work they're doing. Uh, they sponsor a lot of the Spirit Awards and things, I believe. Uh, he came up with the system where you segregate, you separate the points into categories and you kind of come up with, and so it was like, well, did they were they physical? Were there fouls and body contact and the fair-mindedness? And there were a couple of categories that we added later on, like communication. So we got that in place and then we transferred that to Wuftif. So he put that in for Bula. Mm-hmm. And then we put that in for Wuftif, and then we had to come up with the sheet, the the famous uh, sheet yeah. which everyone, no, yeah. one, no one likes that matrix. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that that sheet is mostly uh, well. It, it, so we did that as a committee, and we came up with that because a lot of teams were asking us what does it mean to have a four in fouls and body contact. So we tried to put that together. Yeah, and uh, me being the UK representative. As a native English speaker, of course, they defaulted to me a lot of the time saying, how do we word this? How do we, how do we explain this rule? And I had to, so a lot of that, the reason why you have a problem with it is probably my fault. 
So I'm sorry. <laughs> I you, it's much better than what we had before, which was nothing, or something where the team that came last would just win spirit anyway. Yeah, just a quick question. I think in the last NCS, we had this whole triggering score system where somebody mm -hmm. either scored very low or really high. Is that something that was part of the spirit scoring system from before? And is that something that's followed internationally? So that's not an international thing, although we are, at least when I was in the spirit committee, I was going to promote it. Okay. So it's something that we do in the UK. So this uh, system, the triggering system, it's uh, actually a UK idea that we tried to promote through WFDF as well because we found it so successful in the UK. Um, so just uh, for context, uh, in case you're not familiar with it, any listeners are not familiar with it, if teams get below a certain score, I think it's six, Jadeep was saying, for a single event, or there's a slightly higher threshold, but for multiple events, if you're regularly scoring below a certain value, yeah. then you, get, you basically, it starts off with you just get contacted by the spirit committee. And uh, if you basically just reply, so in the UK, that's what we have, that the first step is that you get an email from the spirit committee saying, you guys scored this much, please acknowledge this. And teams would reply, and invariably they'd go, oh my God, we got a low score, that's really bad. And they'd improve themselves. We wouldn't even need to do anything. Okay. Um, occasionally, teams would continue to, to not get good, whatever we'd consider acceptable scores, which are usually very, the bar is not that high. It's kind of just, as long as you're acceptable to the rest of the community, it's yeah. fine. And for that, you would then get another email from us saying, hey, can you tell us what steps you're taking to improve your spirit? Because we feel like, because you, you guys got a triggering score and you responded saying that you're going to, like, that you want to improve, but it doesn't seem like you have improved. So what are you guys doing about it? And if they, if their reply is not very good, or if they keep triggering beyond that, then, you know, we start intervening by kind of helping them out doing like spirit clinics and do, doing various bits. And yeah, that's the idea is that we want everyone to be playing with good spirit. And that's partly why we play. And that's the idea behind it. Yeah. Uh, did you mention this, but like how if you got triggering scores in the like pool stages, so like day one, then like the instances were talked about with the spirit directors or spirit committee, you couldn't. And then so like because the triggering score also means that you couldn't progress to like semifinals or something like was was that the case in India or in UK or both? Um, so in the UK, we've not had spirit directors at events. So we've not ever had the ability to talk to teams that trigger on day one because we, we didn't have the manpower. Okay. But in uh, WIFDF events, I, there's no rule that prevented you from reaching the semifinals as far as I'm aware. Okay. But um, you, like I've, so I was the spirit director for the U23, which was now it's U24, used to be U23 championships in London, where actually India Mixed got, uh, the, got the prize for spirit as well, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and what we tend to do is we just tend to talk to teams and discuss why the scores are lower and facilitate okay. communication between teams as well. So um, if a team's having an issue with another team in their game, then we've got their captains together after the game and just had a discussion about what went wrong. Um, and it's always been really positive. Like communication is the best, is the most important part of spirit. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think I just made up that semi-final rule in my head. <laughs> yeah. And there's a semi-final rule that Tyro teams can't take part in the semis. You thinking of that? Which teams? Tyro teams. Those oh, are non. Tyro. Oh, so I don't know if they have that anymore. Again, 
Um, it's like a team it's for Worlds where they didn't have enough teams. They'd allow teams to compete, which were mostly okay. So, like, uh, Venezuela would turn up to Beach Worlds in Italy with eight Venezuelan players and six non-Venezuelan players who, well, oh, you know, who connected to Venezuela or Spanish or who the like make citizens. The <laughs> well, this was beyond rift of citizens. Was, <laughs> yeah, stretching. Was, like, well, yeah. So they were like, okay, your your team that's here, it's great. Mm-hmm. We want you here, but you can't play the semis because you're right. not technically Venezuela. You don't qualify, yeah. right? Even by the rift of citizen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe it was that. Okay. Sorted. And uh, I mean, talking about triggering scores, and we were discussing earlier, like the, the differences between WIFTIF and USA rules. I know that, uh, you know, physicality mm. and fouls is one big part of it. But yeah, if you can tell us your opinion on what are the, or just rather your take on the differences. So, I mean, generally, there are a lot of, so I was also on the rules committee, the WIFTIF rules committee for one year. Mm-hmm. And USAU and WIFTIF are working quite hard to make the rules more and more similar to each other. So with every iteration, they are getting closer. But there's one sticking point, at least in my opinion, that it really makes a difference in the way teams play in uh, the US compared to teams outside the US, which is that in WFTF, the rules on uh, physical contact are that it is a foul if you make contact while before, during, or after an attempt uh, play on the disc. Correct. But my understanding of the USAU rules are that it is a foul before or during an attempt to play at the disc, but not after. So that opener is left out, which means that someone can kind of effectively lay out into you. And they, if they get the disc before they get you, then that's technically not a foul. Not foul yeah. USAU. I mean, they have a dangerous play rule for that, but it becomes very subjective when it becomes a dangerous place. Like, well, was that dangerous? You kind of hit me a little bit, but not too much. I can take it. I'm quite a big guy. Then it's not. It's no longer a non-contact sport. It becomes a semi-contact, or not semi-contact, but I think you know what I mean. Conveniently contact. <laughs> yes. And I'm not saying that there should be no contact in frisbee. I understand that when two people are going up for the disc, there will be incidental contact. But this is for more non-incidental contact or like you, it just it opens a window to make bids that are not as safe. Safe, I agree. And talking about safety, you know, I was actually reading uh, on the AUDL website and the rules. I think the first thing that they open with is saying that you know the integrity and the sportsmanship is something that they live up to, and the safety of players is really important. Yet, to a large extent, AUDL and a lot of pro leagues. Um, you know, uh, they do modify the rules to fit their context. So given that this does happen, you know, how far do you see this modification and contextualization of rules affect the acceptance of SOTG as a concept and also just the overall brand of Ultimate Frisbee on a world stage? So I think uh, you'll be, fr- I, I mean, Jadeep knows my stance on this uh, quite substantially. I'm definitely not in favor of the AUDL to the point where I don't watch any videos. And the only reason is I love Frisbee, I love watching Frisbee, but I don't, I, the, the, the modifications to the room where they've added referees, it just doesn't sit with me w- well at all. And in fact, there's a league that's starting in Australia, I think, a six on six uh, mixed yeah. league, which is semi-pro as well, just like a UDL. And that's, uh, that's using WFTF rules. 
Um, I think they're having game advisors. I'm not quite sure exactly how they're doing it. I've got to check with Mikey Palmer on that. But, uh, and they're looking to start something in Europe as well. In fact, they were planning to go ahead with that in 2020. But uh, for obvious reasons, that didn't work out yeah. for now. But hopefully that'll come to Europe as well. I personally do not understand why they decided, why the AUDL decided to go down the route of not even going with observers, but going immediately to referees. It doesn't make sense to me. And it's, um, in fact, again, if you want a story, which Jaydeep was for, was there for actually, this was in, uh, I don't know if you remember Jaydeep, in 2016 in London, when we went to the WIFDF Congress oh, yeah. with all the heads, of, uh, the heads of the various countries were there. And um, I remember the uh, French representative very proudly got up and said, because we were talking about like media and how we can promote Ultimate in the media. And she got up and said, oh, well, it's amazing. In France, we've got this wonderful deal. We managed, we had some connections and we managed to get one game per week broadcast of the AUDL. And the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the worst place to make that statement. Yeah. The Congress. And you've already touched a little bit about, you know, self-officiating. In fact, I was very surprised that the stall count in AUDL is done by a referee. I was, I was really shocked. Mm. How does that even work? Uh, but uh, yeah, like the whole concept of self-officiating versus now observers and referees making active calls in a lot of leagues. How scalable or how, you know, how much do you think can self-officiating, which is a key part of SOTG, be lived up to in commercial and pro leagues where there's a lot of money riding behind it? Yeah, that's always a tricky issue. And um, unfortunately, honestly, I can tell you, I don't have an answer for that. It's something that we'll have to see when we get there. Um, but personally, what I'd like is I'd like for someone to give self-officiating a chance at a bigger scale. It's not that, because I think that whenever they've done it so far with AUDL and MLU, um, they immediately went to referees straight away without giving any form of self-officiating a reasonable chance at the apples, effectively. If you, if you look at the Olympics, there are plenty of sports where you can bend the rules. I mean, even in cricket, there are a lot of rules that you could bend, but people just don't. Yeah. Like, it's just an accepted part of the game that there's a certain level of sportsmanship that is just accepted. And I think in Ultimate, we have a slightly higher level of sportsmanship that is the caliber that we set. Yes. And I completely understand the reason for having game advances where when you're not sure what to do, you have a neutral opinion who is officially unbiased. But that's not the same thing as a referee where they're making active calls and overruling the players on field and they're losing their responsibility. Yeah. That's the, oh, sorry, carry on. No, I was saying, yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, I see what you're saying that it need, somebody needs to give it a chance to fully kind of evolve um, and, you know, also for us to be able to understand how much of it, uh, like you said, how much can a game advisor uh, be involved also. So, yeah. Mm. But, I mean, that said, to play devil's advocate, the other thing that I have heard is that from some of my friends who've played in that format in AUDL and in other formats like that where they have uh, pretty much referees, you do it's easier as a player because it's not something you have to think about anymore. Like, okay. did I get fooled? Did someone hit me? Was that a fast count? You're not thinking about any of that. You're just running off to the disc. Mm. So yeah. I get that perspective as well. 
but I think we lose a lot from the sport if we move away from self-refereeing. Yeah. It's like too high a cost. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with and, you. Uh, and I mean, uh, so I don't know if you know that we did, a, we did a little experiment in the UK back when MLU first started. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I, I remember this. What was it called? Uh, I forget the name now. Did you play in that, JB? No, no, no. I, I remember, I, yeah, the name, I think it begins with F maybe, but like I researched it because I wanted to show it to some Ashoka University players because mm. we we tried to do something along those lines, like doing a game that just had very, like spirit went out the window and we did it as a yeah. like kind of like a prank, but like an example. But mm. yeah, do you want to talk a bit more about it? You, it seems like I think you know more. Sorry, um, when you say MLU, can you, maybe some listeners don't know about it, but if you can say what MLU is. So uh, when AUDL started, actually, I think it was a year before AUDL, there was Major League Ultimate, which mm -hmm. used effectively the same, more or less the same rule set as AUDL. Okay. I think they used slightly different field sizes. I'm not, I'm not sure what exactly the differences were. I know they were competing entities. The disc the was different. I know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they, they, they had like small differences, but the rule set, they had referees that were similar to AUDL. Um, I think they folded two or three years ago, unless mm. I'm mistaken. Yeah. Um, so what they did in the UK was effectively an AUDL style tournament mm -hmm. um, where they got some university players and some experienced players as well and mixed them up. And the teams before the event just decided to have some fun with it. And I use fun in inverted commas. Um, to basically test what it would be like. And uh, I mean, I understand that the referees that they had were not the same standards as, as AUDL referees. They weren't observers. They were just other players of a similar caliber. But there was, it was like, just, it was like watching a football match, really. There was loads of pushing and shoving and diving and there were little things that they would, like a couple of my friends were saying, one of the things that you do is when you're marking someone, you just hook a finger under the disc if you're close enough so oh. they can't move the disc. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping AUDL referees would be able to see that, but they won't be able to see it all the time. And one of the players who doesn't like contact at all, who's actually on my club, um, he uh, kept getting fouled and he got really annoyed with it. He's like, I, that's not how I want to play. And then the next time anyone came near him, he just started diving um, and kept getting fouled by going down whenever anyone was near him. Oh. Um, so... <laughs> It's yeah. kind of, uh, it is defeats one of those the things. Yeah. Sorry? Yeah. You know, I'm saying it defeats the purpose of uh, the no contact. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of stretching. This, so this is basically, they were saying that, look, like football, regular football used to be a very gentlemanly sport a hundred years ago. And if you go down the road now and you look at how it is now, players are, tend to bend the rules as much as they can or get yeah. away with whatever they can. And they were trying to do the same experiment for Ultimate. If they had referees and the responsibility was taken off them to be the referee, then how would it be? And that's what they found. Well, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope that we have a pro league that gives uh, the self-officiating a chance. And you are saying that uh, in Australia, there's already something being planned. So hopefully that can prove uh, a successful story for self-officiating. Yeah, we hope so. Is that called the Premier Ultimate League or am I getting that mixed up with the women's? Yeah, Premier Ultimate League is what's happening in USA. Okay. Really funny part. That I, I've known Ambrish, I, I think, for as long as he's been playing almost 16, 15, 16 years. And it's so weird how 
it's not weird. I don't know if it's the right weird word, but like how everybody knows Amberesian. And like you said, like having played, you know, those hundreds of tournaments. But it's not only that, it's that you are very social. And so like one of the funny things that people I've heard somebody say about Amberesian is that you can hear him anywhere you know, wherever you might be standing on an ultimate field, you can hear Amber. Even if you're turning a corner, you'll often hear Amberish before you see him. Um, and I think I really like this aspect of you that you have this ability to connect with people and are like a natural inquisitiveness about like what people are up to, and then and then you'll also like remember them, right? Like you'll see them at the next tournament. Like, hey, you, you told me this last time. Like, how's that going? So it's really funny last year not last year, i think 2019 i was visiting family and i was just going around uk and uh, practicing at any opportunity and everywhere i could go and practice and every time i would say i'm from india everybody like oh so do you know amrish or oh, do you know amrish <laughs> i i was at the end of it i was like you know like amrish is this really famous person like i uh, you know, everybody seems to know him, and if I know him, that's a good thing because then they all automatically think of me as a good, good, or like a, yeah, okay, she, she's somebody we can she's hang cool. out with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. And it's not like it's an Indian thing. It's like even if you're in UK or like, it's a UK ultimate thing as well. Like, so if you're like, oh, I play ultimate in UK, they're like, oh, you must know Amberish then. <laughs> so it's not geographically dependent on where he is. It's bizarre and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to talk about the FDFI thing? Is that a question you've got coming up? Or? I think I think it's it's one of our proudest moments together. I think. Uh, Jenny, do you want? Why don't you tell us about the FDFI thing? Your your, <laughs> your story, basically. I will. I will get it up to where you take over. So, um, <laughs> the Flying Disc Federation of India was the previous WIFDIF member existing in India, and we we as the UPI community, you can call it now had some run-ins with them because we were like oh wonderful this organization exists so we can connect with them they'll hook us up with tournaments and coaching and all this kind of stuff but it turned out to be the exact opposite of that like where we were where we weren't treated very well and we were we came to understand that it's kind of a bogus and corrupt organization and this was preventing us as a community from evolving or even getting recognition on the world stage and so like I'll try and cut this down, but it got to the point where we met with WIFDIF, the executive board, people like uh, Nobroch and Bolka, Bernardi, at the Sabiodoro Italy World Beach Tournament uh, in 2011. And Ambrish was part of this team. So this is another accolade that Ambrish has. He, as I already said, he, he scored the first ever point for India, but he was he was uh, a player with the first ever national team. And so we met them there and, and they were like, we understand kind of what's going on. Patrick van der Valk was also another key player and did us a mm -hmm. lot of favors in this regard as well, because he had heard about us and and, I, he, and the beach ultimate that was happening there. He he had formed a relationship with people like Manukaran and uh, Mama and um, Kao Abhinav Shankar. And so it got to the point where, yes, they and, and Chennai people did a great job registering the organization, making sure we had our paperwork in order. And then the UPI had their elections and, and I stood and became the president because nobody else wanted to be the president. <laughs> and so we had to then petition the, uh, the WIFDIF, we had to petition the WIFDIF executive board to say, look, we want to be the members because we believe the FDFI is, is not good for the nation which came down to attending the Congress at LECO 2013, I want to say, in November. 14. 2014. 14. 
14 yeah. and, and and I wasn't attending that tournament so Ambrish was and he was already a key part of UPI at that point I think advisory board or something and so I was like Ambrish you go there and you're going okay so you can like pitch this to them so so what did you do Ambrish exactly? I mean before we get to that though I think Jadeep has downplayed what happened a lot I mean it was it was really painful. We weren't allowed to go to any WIFDF events. Mm. Whenever we tried to go to nationals, like basically in the peak of our young careers, we had no opportunity to play in world events. Mm. Um, and the amount of work that Mama, Thunder, uh, Manu, Kanao, and Jedi put in to make this happen was huge. Like it took years and they had to go through lawyers and speak to Falker and, and oh God, it was, it was so much work. And I, like it was a huge thing that they did. And it's the only reason why we can play Wifted tournaments is because of these guys. And obviously myself, uh, who did the <laughs> least important part of it. Like, I would add uh, Dushant as well. Dushant was part yeah, of it. Yeah, Dushant as well. And there were a few others as well who I'm missing out, you're right. Um, yeah, Dushant was a big part of it as well. And like the, the old AB entirely, like old mm. Manjuri and Pritam and Wolf, Wolf and Francois. And, uh, there, there are so many names I'm missing out, but you know who I am. All, yeah. all the old and Mark and yeah. So um, at with the WIFDF Congress in 2014, basically at that point, uh, the group, the Chennai group and Jadeep Chidbushyant had put all the paperwork together and WIFDF had effectively accepted everything. But as per the WIFDF charter, they had to have a vote on whether or not to remove FDFI and replace them with UPAI which is the organization that we formed as actual players, as opposed to the bogus FDFI. Um, so they needed someone uh, from FDFI to come and give a speech and someone from UPAI to give a speech. Uh, so actually the FDFI sent someone. He was, uh, he was about 50 years old. His belly was, he looked like he was pregnant. Uh, no offense meant to any pregnant looking men, myself included these days. <laughs> and he was late also, right? Did he turn up late? He was late, yes. He actually missed the meeting. <laughs> yeah. um, so he had to come in later on to, to give the, the presentation. They had to call everyone back to give the presentation from him. Oh. Uh, but he didn't really speak any English either. So he kept trying to ask me stuff. And I was like, no, I don't want to talk to you. What the hell? And he was like, yeah, he kept coming up to me. I was like, what, what are you doing here, man? Yeah. So, uh, it, so I had to make the speech. And as Jadeep was saying, that I, play a lot of, I played a lot of Ultimate, about 200 tournaments, mostly in Europe. So it was convenient that a lot of the people who were there representing their countries had already played with or against me somewhere. And so they were like, yeah, 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 we'll go with whatever Embridge said. We take, take his, his thing. He's legit. Like, we, we recognize him. So uh, because of the speech that, that Jadeep wrote, we got recognition from WIFDF. And now we're like a proper country. Well, thank you, uh, you, Embridge, Jadeep, and everyone else. It's, uh, I mean, at the back of you, you all set something up for all of us now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for Thanks for bringing it up, Ambrish. Um, yeah, there, there are there are many other moving parts of that story, but I think the impact that it was able to have and national teams attending WIFDF events and, and more, I think, and not just attending events, like getting a recognition from the global community and then subsequently a lot of support from the global community was a nice side effect. Yeah. Um, cool. This is, this is all, and this all comes back to how 
talkative Amberish is. Like, that, that is the most important part of this story as well, um, I think. So, okay, so this question is about how you, I mean, again, like you've seen, you know, even though you've not physically always been in India, kind of like myself as well, but you've always been an integral part and seen things happen from a distance as well and, and at national tournaments being in India, how Ultimate has evolved in the country today where we've finished fifth in the world at the, the World Beach Tournament in Ryan and then last uh, well last season that was playing 2019 we finished third in the continental championships on beach and on grass what what do you think has been like the positive and and perhaps negative aspects of this like or maybe what people have, have also commented on to you because you've had so many conversations about this like how you've seen ultimate evolve and it can be about national teams or otherwise so i mean the level is uh, definitely much higher than uh, the old days when you know we'd we'd go for we'd go for a little drink after every training or before every training even sometimes, um, and this includes in India as well where we were a bit more relaxed, and just we didn't just didn't train as much to be quite honest we didn't have the same focus, and it's incredible the way the sport has grown right now, and the level that the top players are reaching already. I mean even in 2015 when I was on the beach open team. Uh, there were players who had just started in 2011 when I was still on the open team. And by 15, they were, they were at such an incredible level. Like I was struggling to keep up, but it was amazing to see. And the level has just gotten better and better since then. And yeah, it's fantastic. I would say that in India, there are certain challenges that are not faced. So this is a discussion that's very difficult to have in Europe where I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we have like... Uh, 10 teams in Bangalore, maybe 11, but it's really a problem. And they're like, why? Like, it's going really fast. It's going to keep growing. I'm like, no, because there's no more field space. There's no way to play. And they're like, yeah, but there are loads of parks. No, there are no parks in Bangalore. That's not a thing. We don't have that in India. You can't just turn up and play somewhere. And that's always been the biggest problem. And I think it still is, right? Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Space is a problem, yeah. Which is why I think we're working towards getting some recognition from the Sports Authority of India to get access to the fields that are exclusive to railways. <laughs> yeah. Just I don't want to call them real sports, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, and I think the Olympic recognition helped a lot with that. Mm. But yeah, beyond that, I think uh, there, like, so people have mentioned to me, so no one has come in with specifics, but I, I'm oh. aware that there was a, so, you know, I was talking about India's performance in uh, Royan. And uh, someone was saying, oh, yeah, that Sweden game, I heard it was really controversial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although I did go to Royan, I went for the last day because I found really cheap flights from London. I didn't see that game, so I don't know what happened. Right. Um, But that's the only bit of controversy that really I've heard. Apart from everyone has a very positive view on India, but it might also be that we are still, although we are establishing ourselves, we're not as established, um, partly because we're a smaller nation still, ultimate-wise. And maybe, actually, our player base is not small anymore. We're, mm. We have a lot of players. Yeah. But we don't send a lot of teams to world events anymore. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that's good um, talking about that Sweden game for those people um, who want to know more. Just ask, uh, you can ask the spirit captains, I think, or, or the players themselves. Because I think it, it, it is 
one of those instances where people have heard things, but they haven't spoken to players or coaches directly about it. And I think, I, I don't think the players would be opposed to having those conversations with you. They would like to share their experiences as well. Speak to the players. Um, it's worth finding out more. Okay, so, so in terms of like how we've progressed, how India's developed, any, anything else to add on like your thoughts a, about? So as I mentioned that we don't send as many teams out as before, but this is something that's unique about India that I've not seen any other country where we're uh, funding the teams, so where, where we're not sending self-funded teams basically. Mm. So compared to even other countries in Asia where we're not doing it, I mean, in Europe, it's completely out of the question because partly because most European players can afford to travel and play. It's, it's a bit of a stretch, but they can do it. It's not, it's like, it's not a big percentage of their annual income to travel. To, oh, it's, it's a big percentage, but it's not all of their annual income to travel to another country and play a tournament and play or pay for everything. Whereas for Indians, it can be a lot more than the income that any person makes or play individuals make so having a fully funded team is amazing it's fantastic it allows the best indian players to go not just the best indian players that can afford it afford to go, yeah. which is fantastic but i believe it's also a double-edged sword as per as of recent events mm. regarding the uh, wugc yeah so i think just to summarize because i'm not sure if everyone actually knows what happened so the world championships which was scheduled for 2020 UPI being funding everyone did pay all the fees and everything. And then the tournament got canceled and uh, the events company has basically stuck a finger up at WIFDIF kind of, as far as I know, that's basically what yep. happened and they yep. were keeping the money. And uh, it's basically put a lot of players in hold in like basically huge debt because WIFDIF doesn't know how to repay them. It's mm. not looking possible because WIFDIF is also not a rich company. But yeah. what we've done in India, because we're not only because we're funding the teams, but UPAI is taking that on itself, Bird. as far as I understand. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of other countries, the players that were meant to play are like, well, sorry, the tournament didn't happen, but you know, like we can't get your player fees back, but mm. you like the federation can't afford to pay it for you either. Yeah. So we're really sorry, but it is what it is, and we hope that we can help you in some other way, but. Yeah, whereas in India, where actually UPAI is taking on all of that debt, which isn't UPAI's fault, but it's mm. there. And like they're looking after the players and rather than putting it on the players. So that's really awesome. And it's put, a, put UPAI in a tough spot, uh, but we really appreciate what they're doing. Yeah. So are you, so coming back to like your view on like how Ultima has evolved and mm. teams being national teams so like the shift being to set being self-funded and, and, and we're going a bit long now and i don't want to talk mm. about it too much but like do you think that what kind of impact do you think do you think that will have on ultimate in india so i think like it it's going to make a difference for sure because we do have a lot of very good players who probably will not be able to afford a tournament especially right. if it's in like the u.s for example where yeah the flights are expensive the visa is expensive Hotels are really expensive as well. Um, I'm hoping that we can do something that contains some kind of hybrid system where some players do get some kind of funding, yeah. where we can do social funding. And, you know, like we have 10 self-funded spots and three, uh, three UPAI-funded or like sponsor-funded spots. Um, if we can figure something out, I don't know whether that's feasible, 
Um, it is going to have an impact for sure. Uh, I mean, I think uh, I've championed in the past to have, well, not championed, but I've, I've suggested in the past that we have a funded team and have additional self-funded teams just to give players an experience of going abroad, uh, which doesn't impact UPAI negatively, but does give more players an opportunity to experience mm. ultimate at the world stage and increases our profile abroad. But it does mean that the profile that we're increasing is not of the elite level. It's of the elite that can afford it level, yeah. which is still high, but it's not as high as like the top top. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, and it'll be it'll be even more intriguing to see what we can do or what will be decided going forward by the UPI. So watch this space. I think. Yep. Shall we move to the rapid fire? Let's do it. Okay. Okay then. Are you ready, Amrish? So how does this work again, Richard? Okay, I'm going to, uh, Amrish, I'm going to ask you a question and whatever comes to your mind in instinctively, just say it out loud. Oh, God. My mind is not a pretty place. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out how, how unpretty or not pretty it is. <laughs> so, going in, would you rather play Disc Golf, Ultimate Frisbee or Settlers of Catan? Ultimate Frisbee. Ultimate. Yeah, Frisbee. Okay. Uh, the same, would you rather play in Europe or India? Europe. Oh. <laughs> okay. And would you rather play with Flywild, Clapham Ultimate, Buzz Bullets or Seattle Sockeye? <laughs> I think it's got to be Clapham. Clapham? Oh, wow. Sorry, Flywild, but yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not smart enough to play for Buzz Bullets. I mean, we're, yeah, they're at another level. <laughs> but we can all wish. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ambrish is faster on beach or grass? Grass. Okay. Uh, complete this sentence in the, in the context of ultimate. Never have I ever. Uh, never have I ever drunk at a frisbee tournament. Oh, that was actually quite easy for you. Okay. Retirement. Everything other than that. Sorry? Everything other than that you've done. I, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want Do to reach know. out to Amberich on yeah. his email. We're going to share this for questions. <laughs> <laughs> what is all of this everything other? Okay. <laughs> Okay, and uh, retirement in Ultimate Frisbee is? What I'm doing now. What are you doing now? <laughs> You've retired from Ultimate. I retired in like 2016. Oh. Uh, retirement from Ultimate Frisbee is playing the occasional beach tournament, hats, sometimes nationals, challenger division, you know. <laughs> retirement. Yeah. And I being on committees. Yeah, and, training yeah. twice a week. That's called retirement. <laughs> okay. And you've already mentioned a bit about this, but how many tournaments uh, do you think you've played? I think it's around 250, but I'm not sure. Oh, that's uh, something to live up to. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get that uh, number in my lifetime, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> okay. And how many jerseys do you own? 
Oh God, I think it's about 65 now. <laughs> I gave away, given away about 30 recently in the last couple of years. I try to give away about 10 a year, uh, but they keep stacking up somehow. Really, somehow. <laughs> it's not because you go to OTP start a book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or that you never yeah. stick to one team also. Yeah. That's also part of this. Wow. I've only played for about 50 teams. <laughs> and and which one of these jerseys is one of your like all-time favorites? Oh, the, no question. Uh, it's the white 2011 India Beach jersey. I knew that. I, oh, I was really? Say that. Yeah, I, I it's the best jersey. It's literally, it's the most beautiful, the most special memories as well, but it is objectively an amazing jersey. Jadeep has one as well. I do, yeah. As does Bhaji, Manu... Dharmesh Mestri, who never, like, didn't turn up. But, yeah, there's a bunch of people. Who wasn't but there, either. Was, uh, yeah. I don't, 15 of them. I don't think I've seen it. Jadeep, I think you should take a photo and uh, all Amrish, one of you should take a photo and send it to us and we can put it up on social media. Done, done, done. I don't think I fit in it anymore. I definitely don't fit in mine. But I can get a <laughs> <of it. laughs> Not wearing it. In 10 years, is like constant growth, both as a human and as a human. <laughs> okay you can put it side somewhere aside and take it <laughs> and why do you never cut your hair or shave i trim my hair and i trim my hair <laughs> <laughs> my family has a long history of male pattern baldness so oh. i trim my hair while i can and i shaved my beard in when I was 20, so this is like maybe in 1812 or something, I don't know, way back. And uh, didn't like the look of my chin, so I grew it straight back after one <laughs> And ever since then, nobody's ever seen your chin. <laughs> seen my chin. <laughs> okay, and you, you already answered this when you said never have I ever, but we had a question whether, have you ever been drunk? I've never been drunk, no. No. Okay. And which is the best tournament party ever? Oh, I don't know if I remember all of them. They've been uh, the the ones at World Beach Eleven were really fun. And yeah. uh, that, that's I think the last time people were still partying at a beach tour at a world's event. World's, yeah. yeah. And uh, but Mallorca has really good parties. Um, Oh, but there was yeah. I think I think at Worlds when they had the music as well, the the band, uh, I was just there all the time. It was amazing. It was such a good vibe. They don't have that anymore. They don't really have parties at World Events anymore. They, yeah, they had like sure. live music pretty much the whole time and going on to like one in the morning, at the at the tent where the the main tournament was being held. Yeah, and it was just great. It's really fun. Wow. Oh. That's so sad. I, I think I remember Sahitra was mentioning at the Royan one there was a party and it was quite crazy, but I, I wasn't, I didn't know that. That's that like an after party though. This is a party on like the first night and the oh, second night. Oh, okay, 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 got it. Oh. Like all six nights we were, yeah, we, we were going out and having fun and waking up at six in the morning and going like, oh my God, I can't believe we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, that's the end of the rapid fire. You've been great. Thank you. That was not so bad. That, that didn't go to a, any really dark places. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. I didn't. 
Although I do think that you're faster on beach, but I don't know. I think it's just, I mean, of course, whenever I'm guarding you, it's easy. So, you know, it's hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, it's dude, beach where you dude, excel. You've been really good at guarding me after I retired. Like, since <laughs> I retired, you're much better than me. Like, 2017, you kicked my ass. I will <laughs> gladly accept that. Well, that's when you started um, playing Ultimate. <laughs> but honestly i'm just too fat for beach i'd like you know shiva raman runs on top of the grass i run underneath it it's just it's not a good way to move <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. that is the bar thanks thanks ambrish this has been awesome you shared a lot and it was great um a lot of it's just like really good information and how so so many things that are actually not so well known within mm. um, within India, I think, among the general audience. So it's been really good to hear you like share a lot of that and divulge these stories. So thank you. Yeah, well, we like that's part of the reason for this podcast as well is amongst other things is to keep the history of Ultimate in India alive as well. Just why I want to give a shout out to the old uh, advisory board, you know, Francois Manjeri. Freedom, everyone else who I'm forgetting more. Yeah, just all the Apu. How can I forget Apu? Apu, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, all the all the people who helped India, Indian Ultimate reach where it is today. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's been a long journey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All these all these people have been fundamental in shaping Indian Ultimate to what it is today. And I think it's one of the most spirited countries. It's had amazing like track record for most spirited team awards um, which is fantastic thank you amrish for taking us through this history <laughs> lesson <laughs> and yeah yeah we hope that you can take away a bit of history and also keep passing it on uh, to future generations of players and uh, yeah i just want to also shout out to nishant ragate thara uh, tara and sisa who were really great at the quiz that we recently put out and if any of you have any ideas topics or anything just about anything you want to share with us you can write to us at contact at 91ultimate.com well with that thank you everyone for listening bye bye everyone thanks very much for having me take care bye bye